How could I forget that? Oh my God, you're so right. You should forget that. Oh, pasty butt. Not the pasty butt. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. They lured you here for a reason. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the cowardly creeper, Ryan. When did Halloween become synonymous with sex? The classic horror connoisseur, Sean. Pass me one of those eyeballs. And our new friend, the paranormal paramour, Binks. Ew, why is mine so sticky? This week, we're checking out a 2022 horror sequel that gained notoriety with news publications for allegedly causing people to throw up in theaters across the country. Before we see what all the fuss was about, though, we'd love for you to get to know our new friend a bit better. Binks, I'm so excited that you're joining us. Obviously, you know, you've joined us for the Terrifier 2016 Rewind just a few days ago, but for now, let's help you meet everyone else. What's your connection to the horror genre and how deep does your love of horror run? Yeah, so for as long as I can remember, I've always loved horror. I have an older brother, and so as a typical younger sibling, I've grown up basically getting into all of the same things he enjoys, which includes horror. My mom as well is a big horror fan, so I feel like it's just a family affair at this point. Oh, that's relatable. Same for me. Okay, so what style of horror is your jam? Yeah, so actually, as my moniker infers, I love me some paranormal horror. My mom is, like I said, one of the big reasons I'm into horror. And so specifically with the paranormal-related stuff, she would be the kind of person that would fall asleep watching paranormal adventures, like if it's a lullaby. So I think it's just been a thing of ours since I was very little. I feel like it's a right balance between could this really happen and this is far-fetched scary. I love that, right? I love paranormal stuff as well. What is your favorite horror movie of all time? Hard for me to decide, honestly. I want to go with something a little more recent-ish. So I'm a big Stephen King fan. So is my brother. uh, And I really love Pennywise, good old Pennywise. So I'm going to say It, of course. Can't really specify whether I'll do the miniseries or the more recent one. I really think that Tim Curry and Bill Skarsgård did amazing. So honestly, it's such a good movie, and I've never looked at sewer drains the same. Inquiring minds must know, then. Obviously, you've shared a lot about your preferences and your, your taste, the flavor of horror that you like. But how do you personally define a hack and a slash? I want to say it's a combination of both long-lasting effects with the movie and how many emotions I'm feeling during. I love a good movie that evokes emotions you never thought that you would expect in something frightening. And of course, thinking of how long that emotion is going to last after the fact. So I think when it comes to this movie, talking about Terrifier, we're really going to get into that. That's completely fair. I think, you know, Terrifier is something that obviously evokes a lot of feelings one way or another. So I'm excited to see how it shakes out for you. Now, folks, Binks did join us, as we mentioned earlier, on our Patreon feed to rewind a movie that we previously covered back in episode 65, a film that set the standard for gore and brutality and has become the bar that we compare every movie to. In October 2019, production began on the sequel to that movie. And while filming was nearly complete when the world went into quarantine, Audiences were eager to see what the second coming of this murderous clown would be. 
Once released in theaters three years later, the sequel dominated news headlines and warned moviegoers that it wasn't for the faint of heart, even garnering attention from Stephen King, who stated it would gross you out old school. The film was made on a budget of $250,000 and in turn grossed over $11 million worldwide after its release. The indie phenomenon follows the resurrection of a murderous clown who returns to a town where he finds a new victim to target on Halloween night. This week, we're talking about Terrifier 2. What were you all expecting going into this one? Going into this one, one, Terrifier, the original, if you will, or the first one, really became uh, one of my favorite slasher films that I had seen in recent years, right? I did have some high expectations going into this sequel. Judging by how violent and brutal the first film was, I was I was uh, expecting much of the same in this one. I knew we were going to see more art, and I knew that meant we were in for some crazy shit, but I, I was really hoping for this to kind of find a way to one-up the last one, and I didn't know how that was going to go. One of the things I did want out of the last film was more story or more backstory and was really hoping to get some of that out of this one. But you never know, right? Sequels can be pretty hit or miss. There's not that many sequels that really top their predecessor, in my opinion. So ah, it's tough, but I have high hopes for this one. Yeah, going into this movie, having seen Terrifier for the first time 24 hours before, I knew I had to buckle in for an even wilder ride. I had seen the articles that people's experiences were like extreme. And to be honest, I was skeptical because we've seen similar statements about other horror movies in the past, right? So I figured, nah, it's not possible, but this time, very possible. So having rewatched it today, I feel like I was bracing myself for the gore times like 4 billion. It's like one of our patrons, Ashley, had mentioned earlier today, it's the anticipation of what's to come being one of the best parts about this franchise. I think it speaks volumes. Yeah, I think my expectations are pretty easily summed up. Uh, They were pretty high because Chris got art tattooed on her arm after seeing this. You know, I don't know how that could be an overstatement of how much you love something than getting it tattooed on your arm. So after the way you guys have been talking about it, and I wasn't able to be at the watch party, but I popped in and just saw a couple people talking about it. And my expectations are like, this should be great. Everyone seems to really love this. And, you know, I don't feel like Terrifier really got a lot of shine for its first release. So for this one to be, you know, while I didn't believe the articles about people throwing up in the movie theater, the fact that it got articles about that is a big difference from what was happening, you know, when it released in 2016, I feel like from my my perception. Oh, for sure. That's such a big deal. And I think really what this movie did was create this like whirlwind for indie horror right here, right now in modern day. This was the statement piece to studios. We want horror and we want the gore. We want the gritty. We want art the clown. We want someone with some personality. And we don't want just a regurgitation of the same material that we've been seeing for decades now. Except for Michael Myers, I'll always take more thank you. Now, I remember first hearing about the sequel and simultaneously feeling excitement for the potential of Art the Clown, you know, and having more of him. But then also unease because really, how could anyone possibly top the shocking moments we get in Terrifier, right? Over the years, I had like heard these teases that we'd be getting an insane increase to the level of gore, which I was skeptical about. Let's be honest. I knew that this one had a bigger budget. But it was still relatively low budget, so I ultimately expected to experience more of the same Terrifier quality, but with an even more charismatic Art the Clown his second time around. Now, I will say, though, I got to watch this for the first time in theaters with Sean and his wife. 
his lovely wife. What a time. Uh, and let me tell you, in the moments before the movie started, I was low-key paranoid. If you've been listening to us for a while, you may know that I have a really stupid, sensitive gag reflex. So while I'm not going to disparage the people who threw up in Terrifier 2, I did think, wait, what if something really dumb, like breathing, triggers my stupid gag reflex? And then I'm suddenly seen as like a little bitch who throws up in Terrifier 2. So I, I was scared. I was alarmed. Yeah, I, re- I remember you. Uh, I remember us talking about that as we were going into the theater and uh, and we were debating <laughs> whether or not this was going to be that crazy, right? With all of the hype and, and the uh, articles coming out about people like handing out vomit bags and all of that stuff, right? And people passing out or having to leave the theater. But um, geez, hey, you know what? What did we decide on? Like you got a, you got like a bag of popcorn, so it served two purposes, right? You've got your snacks and a vomit bag just in case. It, we were prepared. Yeah, utilitarian. Please. <laughs> I am shocked by that because I actually told my brother, I am going into this movie theater with popcorn because I was thinking the same thing. There you go. Yeah, you have to be prepared. You have to be thorough. And I will say, though, like once the movie started, I really got past that paranoia very quickly because we're swiftly introduced to what the gore experience is in the sequel. You don't get peak gore in the opening moments, but you get like a, okay, we're going to linger on this for a little while. And I found it to be the perfect balance between brutal and fun. And I think I just had so much fun watching this, apart from just a couple moments that dampened the experience for me. A hundred percent. That was like one of the earliest feelings that I got was the beginning of the movie and and just how, you know, just solidified like art is truly one of a kind, right? He is genuinely disturbing yet hilarious, right? As a character in a way. And and that's just crazy to think about, right? But that's some of the magic behind him, right? Um, it's one of the things that make him and this franchise so special in a way. Um, you don't want to love art, but you do. You absolutely do. And it's really hard not to, but I will say my expectations of how much fun I would feel during this were, I mean, maybe it wasn't, it wasn't quite there. And now I am going to confess, I watched this by myself and I really think Terrifier is a different experience when you're not with other people that are being terrified with you. But I think my feelings during this movie were like a, a little bit more stress than fun which is very much outside of what I thought it would be. Yeah, going into this movie, definitely felt some stress, considering I already knew where the bar was set. Um, but this second time around, I felt nauseous just as much as I did the first time. Uh, I really had to even hold it together and get a glass of water. I think it's just one of those things where you're never going to look at certain things the same way again, just like the first movie. Um, and another feeling I got, especially the second time around, was a little bit of confusion regarding the plot. We'll get into it in the spoiler zone, but interesting. There's definitely room for some questions, a bit more of a skepticism on certain plot holes, but whatever. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up. Obviously, we don't go into many slashers looking for really substantial plot, but... This one does make some very specific choices, for sure. A few things really, really surprised me here, one of which being just like how much of an upgrade we got in the quality of the supporting cast. Like, don't get me wrong, I love Tara, but we spent a lot of time in the Terrifier Rewind lamenting the quality of acting for everyone besides art. And yeah, we got a sizable budget increase for this movie, but I'm absolutely blown away by how much we get for that budget, both in performance quality and in practical effects. 
But the plot was actually a really big sticking point for me because there are two things that struck me as sore spots. One is like a particular act of violence pretty early in the film. And then the third act itself is where that that absolutely falls apart. We'll get into it in a bit, but this definitely had a more varied emotional experience than I had watching the first film. Yeah, there's plot holes. We're going to talk about that. The the story is interesting in certain parts. I think one of the one of the biggest surprises was even before I even got to the movie, I, and I think I I put it in our little text thread was was that I was genuinely surprised at how long the runtime was going to be for this film. It went from like an eighty something minute movie to like a two and a half hour movie, and that was I was like, dang, that's a long time for a horror movie, a slasher film at that, right? And I did feel that it kind of started off a little bit slow. It definitely took a little longer to really take off. Like we got some action in the beginning for sure but um it was kind of slow and i had to remind myself that I actually kind of got what i asked for right because i wanted some of that development that character development in that story so i had to like constantly go back and forth of like okay where are we going to see some action where are we going to see some action but then i had to slow myself down and say like you know what actually this is good like we're we're we're, we're investing in some of these characters we're learning a little bit more which i thought was a really good turn for the for the film Yeah, I agree with both of you in terms of acting. I think it's improved substantially. And I don't know if that's saying a lot, but I think it has. Uh, And I think it really does have to do with there being more of an intention on creating a, dare I say, universe or plot or who knows what, the world of art, right? So with that being said, there needs to be better dialogue and more backstory. So when it comes to this main character, I find myself you know, resonating with her a little bit more, being more interested, a bit more invested. Yes, the plot is something, but I agree with you, Sean. I I think we got what we asked for in terms of wanting more and wanting to learn more about everyone there. We definitely did. And I think it's so interesting that uh, certainly it wasn't just us, but I mean, we spent the whole episode saying, man, I just want more story. And then I'm just so interested by the story that we get and how I like... I don't know. I found myself disappointed by having so much story, but I mean, you know, I would say they maybe like went a bit, it, you know, left one extreme and went towards the other one, but it's, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's a lot. And for a minute there, it's kind of like, am I watching Terrifier? Like, are we, it, this is a different movie, like dropped in the middle of art's absolute nonsense and chaos. Right. A hundred percent. Like it felt like uh it felt like a whole different turn from the first one going into this one like a completely different vibe in a sense right like it was uh it was definitely interesting i'm i'm with you on that like i i wanted it but then i didn't want it but i wanted it like it was interesting the whole feeling through i i will say the most disappointing thing for me though was that i didn't uh i didn't get to uh see a whole lot of chris jericho right uh I wanted to see more Chris Jericho in the movie. I wanted to see maybe like maybe him like drop the Judas effect on him, maybe put him in the walls of Jericho. I don't know, something like that. I want I wanted to see some some action with with the famous Chris Jericho, the Ocho. Okay, but I think something that is a side effect, you know, maybe that we don't get a lot of Chris Jericho. Maybe it's because we get so much of art. Maybe it's because we have so much of the story. This movie, I think, lacks a lot of the fear that the original Terrifier has. Not even that I was particularly scared by that one, but I think there's like this, dare I say, more wholesome energy about art. Obviously, he's not wholesome in any way. He's a brutal maniac, but he feels like he's just having a good time. And in some ways, that's scary. In some ways, that's creepy. But in more other ways, 
I feel like I'm almost desensitized to it. So he's less creepy and more, I want to be this guy's friend. Not that I literally want to. Don't come at me. But there's something here that's less threatening. Nothing I'm saying is making sense. I'll leave it there. <laughs> I knew you would say something like this because when we had talked about it before you or before I watched it, you said he's as charming as ever or more charming than ever. And I absolutely don't agree. I feel like he's so much more sinister in this. He's way more fun in the first one. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I just feel I don't I feel more stressed. I feel like, oh, this guy's literally just a psychopath that kills people. In the first one, I was like, oh, my God, he's funny. Did you miss the googly eye glasses? What? Aside from that and like maybe one other scene, he's just like kind of a serial killer. (laughs) Yes, but also he knows how to have fun. This is the moment where Art stopped trying to be good at his job and he has now gotten good at his job and can enjoy the fruits of his labor. That This is this moment in, in Art's life. It's so funny, but I don't agree. I'm kind of in between both of you. Once you get over the hurdle of this man is a maniac and you kind of try to marinate and he's actually really funny, eventually as the movie goes on, you kind of become desensitized to the comedic nature a little bit. Like, yes, there are some funny scenes. The googly eyes and certain other elements, absolutely I was cackling. However, I think that when we get into the kills and those kinds of things, man, I'm leaning a little more like, this guy's a little scary. Yeah, so, like, I, I get it, right? Um, I think it is darker. I think he is a little bit darker uh, in this film, but um, he does have a charm factor. I'm with Chris. There is a charm factor there. Even if it's a little bit more uh, psychotic in this one, maybe a little bit darker, but uh, I do still think that there's, there's some wholesome art deep down in there. Uh, I don't think the film itself is frightening like a good haunting would be, right? It does have uh, some jump scares, I think more in this one than the first one. The deaths or kills in this film are brutal, right? And might be hard to watch for some people. And that's probably where some of the hype came from in, in, you know, people not being able to stomach it and things like that. Um, Art himself is a terrifying villain, right? He's meant to be terrifying. I mean, he is the terrifier. If you met, I mean, if you met an evil sadistic clown that took great pleasure in inflicting pain and torture upon people and visibly like had a great time doing it, that would be pretty fucking scary if you ask me. I mean, it's so is the film frightening? No, but I think just art as a character, the aura, what he brings to this uh, film is scary. Okay. To be clear, if I saw art in the street, would I fuck around and find out? Absolutely not. But what I am saying is that this movie probably would have been more frightening if it was shorter. Because I think the movie goes on for so long. Not that I'm complaining about its runtime, but it goes on for so long that you are constantly exposed to this threat. And so he loses his impact almost. In the sense of fear. In the sense of charm, I'm there. In the sense of hilarity and shenanigans, absolutely sign me up. But I'm less scared of him because I feel like I know him so well now. I feel like... The thing about art in this movie that's so different is it seems like so many more of the kills are like, I'm showing up to you rather than like us on a thing together. I don't know if that makes sense. In the first one, it's so much like, obviously, we're chasing each other. It's a lot of chase. And this one, it's like, this man might just show up while you're eating breakfast and murder you and not like in a chill way, in like a very unchill way. So it doesn't 
like, I don't think this movie is scary. I think the first one's a little bit scarier, but his like, his, his, his vibe is just different in this one. Okay. I have a question though. This is really urgent. Is there actually anything but an unchill way to show up to someone's house and murder them? Um, like, I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm just saying like, <laughs> compared to what he does in this movie to people where they're like, you know, it's bad. There are more chill things that you can do for sure. I mean, can you just like show up to somebody's house, uh, house like a uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey style, and just be like, "All right, all right, all right," you know? Here we go. Like, I'm just gonna stab you a couple times. It's gonna be chill. No worries. For sure, those are mob movies. They just show up and they're like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" You know, like I just showed up. You know what I'm here for? It's chill because we're all on the same page. No one invited Art. Okay, <laughs> no one knew about him. They just he just shows up to houses. I was picturing like maybe he shows up with a casserole. You know, welcome to the neighborhood. With razors in it. There it is. Yes. There you go. It, inviting kill, even. Okay, now we have this scene for Terrifier 3. <laughs> We're all writers for Terrifier 3. That's the that's the real gag. We're putting it together. It's got a love storyline. I love a good rom-com. <laughs> oh, yeah. So many angles. I will say, though, that the theatrical experience for this movie, the moment that it created socially... And I think even just the lengths it goes to, to not hold back and to really just give us a full, fully imagined story makes it one of the most original theatrical experiences I've had in a very long time. I think on paper, right? Like looking at the movie itself, we get some more of his shenanigans that feels good. It feels like a continuation of art, but not like a brand new thing. I wouldn't say it's the most original horror movie that I've ever seen. I think in some ways the plot even gets pretty messy, so it becomes hard to decipher, like, okay, where is this really going? But I think what this movie did was foster community, which sounds bizarre. It fostered energy, and it almost provided like a, like a jolt of life into horror when we needed it most, especially given the movies that came out in October. So I, I think this gets mad originality points for that. Sometimes, Chris, I think that your daisy art glasses that you're wearing are a little bit rose colored because this movie doesn't feel original to me. And I'm not taking value from everything that you just said. I think this is a release that the horror world needed. I think it, I, I was really concerned when you said built community, but I think when you, when you say built up the horror community. Yes. Like this is a release that we needed. It feels good. Like this is a good change from some things that we've had, but this movie and this plot line, the only thing that feels original about it is the times when the plot doesn't make any sense. That's pretty much it. Everything else feels like stuff that we've seen come together. Listen, I don't care if these glasses are rose colored. I'm living in it. The world's prettier through looking at them this way. Listen, I'm not mad at it. Sometimes you just need a little different perspective. Sometimes you just need to feel joy. And that's what art gave me. <laughs> Listen, right. You've got a point, right? Like, um, it, it, is it the, does it feel the most original? I don't think so. I, I know it does have tidbits throughout the movie that we have seen in other horror movies. But I think, um, and I think we even touched on this even in the last episode with, of Terrifier and the Rewind, is that what the movie does, what this franchise does is it does, it does bring stuff you've seen, but it, it does it in a different way and in, in, in a more unconventional way that you may haven't, maybe haven't seen before. And that's what I feel like is refreshing. I think that's why this feels so good and that it doesn't feel redundant. Like it doesn't feel like we've seen this before. It's not something that I feel like you can just call everything that's about to happen. You can't just predict the whole movie. And so while we have seen some of this 
story in other movies and it pays homage to different uh to different slashers over the years i think it does have some originality in just the way that it it, the way that it presents itself but yeah but i mean i see i see what you're saying so i see both both sides of that yeah i also can see both arguments but i am actually sorry ryan leaning a little more on chris's end of things to no one's surprise at the end of the day i agree with sean you don't necessarily foresee where things are going to go and yes it could be because the plot really just becomes something that you don't really understand too much but nonetheless i think a lot of the elements about the terrifier franchise in general are these kills once again ups the ante we're seeing different elements that are enhanced in this movie that i didn't necessarily expect and even though there are small bits that are predictable with the acting having improved and just overall the excitement of what is going to happen in this movie when you can't necessarily predict it completely, I'd say original points. Okay, great. I'm glad you're on my side. But I, l- let me just say this. I think somewhere what I could have appreciated just a little bit more predictability is in the ending because the ending of this movie really falls apart for me. It's not enough to really tarnish the whole experience. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be out here being a grumpy gills. But it got to a certain point in the third act when I thought, well, what the fuck is happening here? And then it just kept going. A hundred percent. There's a lot to unpack here, right? For the ending. There's so much that happens and, and we'll have to wait until the second half to really dive into that stuff. For me, at least, you see stuff that gives you like weird 80s retro video game vibes, Legend of Zelda vibes. I don't know. You see some twisted stuff that really makes you wonder, what the hell are you watching, right? I'm a little torn on the ending, to be honest. It didn't ruin the movie for me by any means, but I I do think it's the least, maybe the least successful part of the film for me. But at the same time, like it did leave you wanting more and maybe it was successful just for that reason. I don't know. I love how you brought up the Legend of Zelda thing. I cannot agree more with that 100%. I have to say, the ending just starts to get so bizarre in terms of trying to tie in this plot that they've created in this world, I guess, that they've created. I feel like there's a lot of action, right? But we also get a lot of questions when it seems like they're trying to provide answers. And so for that alone, I felt like when it ended, I said to myself, what just happened? Very similarly to Chris, but not necessarily in a bad way. And, you know, what I will say to the ending, just a small little thing. There's an end credit scene. Jesus Christ. You didn't watch it, did you? Of course, I've never watched a credit of anything. Why is part of the movie after it's <laughs> over? I don't understand. This is MCU. Oh, yeah. Literally. I was watching this and I was like, there better not be an end credit scene. And did I stay around to figure out? No, I finished the movie. The credits come on. I turn it off. Like, am I reading the credits in a book now? Like, why are there so many end credit scenes? Honestly, I'm cutting off like TV shows and stuff. Like when I think it's about to be the end credits, like before it even gets there. (laughs) So why? I'm not doing that. Anyway, I am going to completely agree with you guys that the ending falls apart a bit for me. I think the parts of it that are a bit out there are too far out there for me and things don't quite come together. Things don't quite come together the way I wanted to. Now, like uh, the very last like note that we're on that like, 
you know, probably maybe leads to something in the future. I'm kind of on board with it. But honestly, there's like a long chunk of the end where I was like, where are we going and what are we doing here? Okay, I'm gonna be real with you. Because you didn't watch the end credit scene, and because of how strong my feelings about the ending are based on that scene, I can't even pinpoint the moment that you're talking about. Because it's not really the final note. You know what I mean? It's like, there are so many things that happened in that third act, which is a little pro- problematic for me. But it's like this movie has the end, the end, end, the pre-end, and the prologue to the ending. And you may have been at the prologue to the ending because I shit you not, there is so much that you would have said and felt about this end credit scene. And I think that's what I'm really missing out on here. I feel like you have to watch it on the break. Facts. Uh, I'll watch it right this second. Say no more. But once again, why is the movie partially after the credits? Why do we put the credits in the middle of the movie? I don't understand. Well, it's kind of like the inverse of that Friday the 13th remake where you get like a mini Friday the 13th movie and then you get the opening credits of the rest of the movie. That's what it's kind of like, you know? I don't know if there there's any deeper meaning other than if it's a theatrical release of any kind. I think that when you're in a theater watching the movie, it's just a fun thing to have, right? Instead of just going through the movie and ending, you want that kind of encore, right? When you go to a concert, you want that encore. So that's kind of it's kind of like the encore. But that's not uh, movies are not supposed to have an encore. They're supposed to have a runtime. It's this is not a concert. I just don't get it. I'll never get it. It's okay. I know it's just me. Everyone likes to sit in the theater for three hours waiting for the end credits to finish. Like it's not just you. I have to. I have to force my wife to stay in the credits. She's like, "Is there? A, is there an end credit scene?" I'm like, "Yep." To be fair, the encore is in the runtime of the movie. If you want any you know, semantics, whatever, but it's there. It's all budgeted there. You know what I was saying. You know what I was saying. Sure. It is budgeted. Put it before the people who made the movie. I I don't, I'm not going to read that. Okay. So obviously we have a lot of feelings here and it's, it remains to be seen how these feelings translate to the actual rating of this film. So as we ponder that, as we consider what we'll give it, Sean, how would you describe the gore score for Terrifier 2? Okay, so uh, believe it or not, in my opinion, the gore in this film is more severe than it was in the first film. There are some gruesome and graphic scenes where we see some extremely intense gore. I, I think gore lovers will absolutely love this movie as it is like drenched in blood and riddled with body parts. This movie is definitely not for the faint-hearted, right? The people that can't see blood, and I know some of those people, the people that have a hard time watching graphic murders or killings, right? It has to be a high gore score. In fact, some would argue that this is above just a measly high gore score, right? Some might argue that this is severe gore. But what about the Animal Report? The Animal Report for this one is not great. Um, It's terrifier. I think it's not surprising that the animal report is rough but um you know it's not it's not the worst one we've seen i do however want to also give a rating on the parenting in this movie if you guys are okay with that that is a solid zero out of ten worse terrible parenting not good parenting okay in case you needed to know about that before you watch this that's my rating well bad parenting aside let's go ahead and get into our ratings terrifier 2 from 2022 was it a hacker slash 
okay, look, there is no doubt that this film has elevated the slasher genre to new heights. Uh, Damien Leone and David Howard Thornton have cemented their legacy in horror, and it's no wonder why they why there is such a following surrounding this movie and this franchise already, right? Like, this has become a cult classic. This film puts the slash in slasher, and for that, I'm giving Terrifier 2 a slash. This movie wastes no time in showing you exactly what you're about to watch. I think it takes its predecessor and honestly just says, hold my beer. Uh, we are seeing a Terrifier universe start to build and more of a backstory. And once again, it leaves you wanting to talk about some intense scenes after the fact and then some. Um, and so although some of the plot points are not great and seem kind of thrown together last minute, uh, we're getting somewhere with it, right? And it leaves you excited to see what's next. Um, and so for that, I'm going to give it a slash. I feel like, you know, the feels were felt and I still questioned my life choices. As you guys know, I originally hacked Terrifier and we revisited it on the rewind. I gave Terrifier a slash. And my initial comments about Terrifier were that it was just total gore porn. And if you don't want to watch gore porn, you may not enjoy this movie. And I didn't. And I was, I've rewatched it with somebody, had a great time, had so much fun rewatching it. And honestly, I find myself in a very similar situation with this one from the first time I watched it, which is this movie to me feels like gore porn. Like it, it just feels like, that's what the point was. And they picked up a story from some other horror movie and combined the two. And I really do love art. I love how much fun he has. I think it's, I think this is one of the harder ones I've had to decide on because art still carries like, you know, in the last one, it was he was carrying because the rest of the actors weren't maybe having their best performance and there wasn't much of a story. But now he's carrying because I, had got too much story like and it's it doesn't have the charm that the last movie had for me i think the the feeling of this one is absolutely more sinister to me than it is fun but i think i'm gonna give this a slash barely just barely just because i do think if you watch this with people i think you'll have more fun and i do see the fun in it but this is like a 50.01 percent slash it's just barely there, but I don't know. Hopefully people understand where I'm coming from. It's a, it's, it's not the easiest watch. I'm not saying everyone should watch this, but I do think you should watch it with people. And I do think if you can have some fun, it's worth it. But just don't be like me and care about the story. If you pay attention to the story, you're going to be like, what's happening? That's all. This is the most remarkable moment of my life. Hell yes. Uh, honestly, I already feel regret about it. No, it's so good. Hell yes. Well, in a less stunning turn of events, Terrifier 2 is two hours and 18 minutes long. Yeah, I watched it four times in the last month. So yes, you're calculating this right. I committed a little over nine hours of my time, which is precious, the equivalent of a full workday to watching this film. And it actually got better every time. This movie is a lot. It's a gore fest. It's fun. It's whimsical. It's maniacal. It's rough in some spots for sure, uh, but it does manage to hold itself together enough to give us the best art we've seen yet. In fact, his presence is so great in this movie that he managed to help take the title of my favorite horror film of 2022 so far and actually earn a big piece of real estate on my horror tattoo sleeve. 
this is a slash. And with that, Terrifier 2 from 2022, in a truly shocking turn of events, has earned a universal slash. Now, you can check out this movie, still playing in potentially some theaters near you, but you can find it on screen box, so go check it out. Then join us in the second half so we can peel back these layers together. We'll see you in a bit. serial killer? Is an egg and toast just not a well-balanced breakfast for you? Rather than a boring cereal, get your day started with a bang with Arts Krispies. It's hard to find a cereal that is both nutritional and fun. This unique cereal is not only delicious, but also packed with mystery prizes that will keep you entertained for hours. Like razor blades, grenades, human teeth, rusty hacksaws, loose change, old spoons, thumbtacks, shards of glass. Arts Krispie cereal. It's a blood pumping good time. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for Terrifier 2, which has surprisingly earned a universal slash. Now, we have a lot to get to here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, Sean, take us through the kills. All right. So uh, let me start by talking about the actual deaths in the film, right? And I'm going to split this up a little bit, right? So there is a total of uh, nine deaths in the film, 10 if you include art at the end, but then we also have the Clown Cafe massacre, right, in Sienna's dream. And in that dream, there's a total of 17 deaths. So that brings us to like something like 27 deaths, which is a pretty high kill count in this film. And all of these kills were pretty graphic and brutal and unique, right, in their own right. But there was some interesting things that I would say that goes along with some of these kills, right, that uh, that we've learned. So Leone stated that one of the most complex kill scenes that they tried to film, or that they did film, rather, was when Allie was being killed in the bedroom, right? They had they had built, like, a life-size animatronic dummy of Allie, and the whole room was as essentially a set that they had to build, and they used rods under the bed and behind the wall to move the dummy around. They used like rubber gloves and tubing in the ch- in her chest to make her appear to be breathing, which is pretty incredible, right? That's pretty awesome just to see how that kind of scene comes to life. Let me tell you, that animatronic was so, I'm going to say jarring, but I don't mean it in a negative way. But it was so obviously an animatronic that felt appropriate for the movie. And it really just reminded me of every like really great haunted house I've ever been in. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, you know, one of the awesome things about this film, right, is that the majority of the effects in the film are practical effects. That's what really makes this special. Now, they did use some digital effects in some scenes when uh, Ricky in the costume shop, the the guy behind the counter with the actor's face, that part was digital with like the eyeball. So when he gets stabbed, they wanted to see the eyeball kind of opening and closing in the face as it's twitching. And they did also use like digital effects from what I understand in the bedroom kill scene that we were talking about with Allie because they wanted to digitally put the actress's like real eyeball on the dummy. So when she wakes up, up, the eye kind of opens. Yes, but they definitely, definitely in 2022 have a great balance of practical effects versus like if you need some digital stuff added in, but it feels so practical in such a good way. It's just a light little dusting of digital. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In terms of the animatronic going back to that, initially, it reminded me of the mummy ride at Universal Orlando. (laughs) Now, I say that 
not to say that it wasn't good, but kind of like it was at first pretty apparent to me that it was an animatronic, but I was still impressed by the fact that they really put in the effort to make it more lifelike in some ways, um, really putting in the effect that you're really trying to capture the fact that she's somehow still alive despite all of this. Um, and then the other things that I'm thinking of in terms of visual elements, um, the sound effects and score, I really loved it so much this time around. It's, it's all about the synth. The synth sounds uh, it just hits a sweet spot. Oh, for sure. The music was actually like a, a really solid element of the movie this time around. I think it's important with these kills, we got to pick favorites. And I have a really simple favorite, which is Jeff getting stabbed in the dick. Okay, listen, (laughs) you know, we wondered, would we get another hot dog? And yes, we did in a different way. We did, but we didn't, you know, same, same, but different. I just feel like I think that was one. It was really simple. We knew it was coming and it's just the perfect art kill. And, you know, it is nice to see him brutalize a man for once. If we're going to do it, you know, art is constantly murdering women horribly. So, you know, they got to be a little bit of back and forth. I think there is the assumption that he bled out, though, because if we see this man in Terrifier 3 dickless, count me out. <laughs> be careful with the assumptions in Terrifier. I, I want to agree in terms of... Uh, that particular kill i i'm having a hard time picking a favorite i'll be honest but in terms of that one i outright laughed so hard especially when i saw just the tip come on that was that was fanfare and i ate it up (laughs) did you notice that that was on his t-shirt when they were out as well yes oh my gosh fantastic he decided to dress up and that's what he went with (laughs) that's awesome my favorite kill was Allie's mom, but I don't want to steal the thunder because I know that's probably somebody's famous, like, favorite scene. So we'll probably talk about that more. But that was my favorite kill. There's so many good kills in this film, right? I, even just the beginning, right? When Art is just like, uh, brutally killing the, the coroner or the, the person in the morgue and he's just smashing the face in and he's taking the eyeball out and he's putting it in his, in his, like, as his own eyeball. Like that whole scene was so gruesome and, and just such a great start to the film. That's gotta be my runner up. Honestly, a great runner up. Your favorite kill, also an excellent kill. It is among my favorites as well, but. I think the one I'm going to go for is less about it being what I think is like the best kill in the movie, but more so like a satisfying conclusion to a character that I did enjoy seeing on screen. And that's Brooke. Brooke is the sketchy best friend who really does not put Sienna in a great situation at all. I'm sorry, drugging your friend is never okay. But I think the actress herself has really great final girl energy. I would love to see her in more horror movies after this because as much as I find a lot of what her character does and says to be really, you know, unlikable, I found myself enjoying her so much. And when she gets her kind of like, not a final girl kill scene, but when she gets this really thorough, just like brutal death in the bathroom, this is a point where... I had to use the bathroom so badly watching this movie. And I was like, the further we got into it, I'm like, fuck, this movie is so long. I don't know when to go. And I got up, went to the bottom of the stairs, and then I stuck around just to watch this because I didn't want to miss a moment of it. And 
I thought it was pretty satisfying. The look of that bathroom was so creepy and disgusting. And it was like, oh, this is decorated for a haunted house. But it was also just like arts horror has happened here. You know, it's a it's a weird balance of are these fake effects or is this just how disgusting art is? And that whole scene, that whole room, it was horrible. To your point about art was here, it was literally written on the wall. I mean, that bathroom, the way that it was disastrously done, his trademark through and through. I have a very simple favorite visual, and I'm very thankful that it's different in this movie than it was before, because before I was just like, looking at art is the best. But this time, it's a little bit different. It's looking at Sienna. Sienna's outfit in this movie, I'm not, I'm, it's not just about her. It's about her look with these wings and this, first off, just seeing her like make the costume add so much quality to it. Cause if we saw her pick it up from a store, I, I probably wouldn't care about it as much, but it's just such a cool look, especially as she, you know, kind of devolves and gets like bloody and beat up a little bit and stuff like that and never loses the wings. It's just so cool. And like, I think it's such a stark contrast to what the clown looks like that it makes it more interesting. And like, I don't know, it really makes her stand out like she's gonna be a superhero in this movie. You know, when I saw her, I thought, look at her making a costume just like Ryan would if Ryan was a final girl in a horror movie. Honestly, I've never committed to making a costume that intense. I usually just commit to intense makeup for costumes and that like the actual outfit, I don't care. But this made me want to be a better person and was like, oh my God, I can like, I'll just make all this stuff. It It's so cool. I love it so much. Yeah, I am a big, big costume kind of gal. I, I have such mad respect for costume design and once again, just killed it and really upped the bar in terms of this movie. And I'm obsessed with Sienna. I have to be honest, that costume, don't be surprised if I try to be that for Halloween next year. That's awesome. Uh, so th- yes, I agree. I think I think the costumes and the wardrobe and, and Sienna, all great. I think my favorite visual element in this film, it has to be the effects for me. I think just the amount of work that they did with you know, 99% of the effects being practical um, is just so impressive. And it was so and it was so good to watch, right? Like just what they could do to make those scenes really feel realistic and feel cringy and feel like you're actually seeing some of these deaths, I think is just it's just really incredible to watch. So my favorite visual element, geez, got to be the the effects for sure. You know, it's so hard for me to to hear all this and not still circle right back around to art being my favorite visual element because the man's prosthetics just are just so good. But I think I really want to pull back and think about just the quality of the cinematography in this film. A, yes, we got a better budget. But B, this movie is shot so beautifully, even when it's so disgusting. And it loses, I think, some of that like horrendously low budget suffering that we that we got in some of the angles in terrifier and looking at just like the quality of this film i think about you know the clown cafe scene for example i think about sienna and and the the extreme close-ups we get of, of her face when she's at school hyperventilating and kind of piecing everything together this movie just looks solid this movie looks like more than $250,000 worth of movie. And I think they really outperformed their budget in that respect. I agree. It's like they took just enough of the grunginess away because I would say it's 
2016, the original Terrifier, it was just a little too far for its time period. It was a little too 2000s feeling in some scenes. So they took that away and it gives it just enough of like a polish to feel current without leaning too far into like what we've seen in some, you know, modern horror where it, this still kind of has that like, could it be a B movie feel, but it's just a little bit better. I do just want to throw out one thing before we move on because it was mentioned earlier, Binks, you said you love the synth, like the 80s synth vibes. I hated the 80s synth vibes because they felt so inappropriate. I don't understand why there were 80s synth vibes until like the end scene where things start glowing and magically people are alive that died. Until that point, there was no reason for me to be hearing 80s synth when this takes place in like 2018. Allow me to quote the man at the drive-in who really try to warn me about what I was getting myself into when I watched this for a second time. It's an 80s slasher made in 2022. It's the vibe. Right. But because of the world that we're in, where we've been through like stranger things and all this stuff, it just feels like we're just like tacking on a vibe because people like it. But it's there's no reason for it to be in this movie. I think the thing is, though, you're overlooking a lot of the other 80s elements of the that are ingrained in this movie's dna starting and ending with the gore and the absolutely like slapstick approach to the kills in this movie so like i see how like visually you can look at some parts of this movie and think oh this is very different uh it doesn't seem to match the music but when you look at i think the third act when you look at some like the emotional strings that are that are tied in this movie when you look at some of the weird stuff that happens with a weird glowing magic sword. When you look at all of that together, this really is an 80s movie just put in modern time. Yeah, they definitely have it definitely has an 80s feel in there, right? Um I I agree with that. I and and I agree with you, Ryan. I feel like some parts of it is kind of off-putting in a way. I I even remember specifically when we're watching scenes of them in Sienna's house, right? Like I actually went through a few minutes where I felt like we were in an even older time period. Just the way it looked inside the house to me almost threw me off. Like I was like, are we in the 70s in this house? Like it just felt it just threw me off a little bit there, but, um, but yes, but I do think it was intentional to have kind of like an eighties vibe to the movie. For me, I think it is a little bit of that association that you were saying, Ryan, but to me, it just came off positive, right? Like that I, I saw a lot of the other eighties elements. And to me, when I hear that synth sound and I hear it with a modern slasher, like terrifier or terrifier Two, you know, I just think, um, I, I can just piece it together. I think it did a really good job of setting the scene without being so overtly like obvious about it. Um, but I, I can see where maybe it didn't really seem like the time period stuck to the 80s sound. Okay, you know how people like romanticize a time period and it'll be like, oh, look at all this cool like mid-century modern furniture. But the reality of the mid-century was that our houses all had this old craftsman stuff and it was ugly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 90s were cool like yeah 90s were cool but everything in my house was floral print bro like it's it wasn't actually cool at the time that's what it kind of feels like for me 80s synth like the synth that they use here feels like clean cool 80s and the movie feels like down and dirty legit it's the 80s like that that's kind of the the difference for me but it's okay again uh, that can just be me so you wanted the music to be dirtier i mean the movie's not super clean cut. Like, it's not as bad as Terrifier, but 
yeah, give me some dirty synth. I don't know. Okay. I don't know, but I'm just, that's where my, my brain is about it. It's just a separation, which I think is pretty interesting when thinking of like dark and dirty and like very deep synth to perhaps match the tone of the kills and whatnot. When I look at the movie just for at, at face value in terms of cinematography, like you were saying, Chris, and maybe just overall lighting, Terrifier 2 seems very light hearted in the sense that it's a lot of daylight, a lot of um, obviously fluorescent light because we see a lot of indoor scenes, all of these elements that are so opposite of the first one. So I almost think to your point, I would have expected more grungier synth in the first movie versus one expecting it in the second, but either way. Speaking of the first movie, my favorite scene is my favorite scene because it reminds me of the charm and love of art in the first movie. And it's obviously the Halloween store. Halloween store art is so funny. And like when this man is pulling stuff out of his bag and every once in a while, right when the cashier's sick of him, he'll drop a couple coins. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Here's a couple coins. Gives him a second. Another set of tools and, and killing devices and then more coins. Obviously, we get the iconic sunglasses scene. Like he's just the perfect creepy funny art for me in those that that whole bit in the Halloween store. Oh, that's such a good moment. And really it gets to the point where, look, if I see Art the Clown in my store, it's closing time and that man picks up a horn, he's keeping the horn. I'm not trying to charge him for the horn. Ninety-nine the fucking horn. Surprising delight the horn. I don't need it. I don't need it. Am I going to get fired for not having a horn? Give this man his due and get the fuck out of there. You really lost your life protecting someone else's inventory, and that wasn't the move, sir. I think the delight that we have in that scene is just so palpable. It really is such a, like, a standout moment. Even, like, seeing him cycle through the different glasses, even the moment where he's, like, taking the horn, and she's like, please, no. It's like violation of boundaries that is so unsettling, but also so damn funny. And Sienna's like, uh, Sienna's like opposition to that is just so well done in that mo- in that moment. But I think my favorite scene is actually the moment we get to see him interacting with kids. And this movie is interesting because it's not just art after two young women uh, who are like fully grown adults, but we actually see him interacting with minors, right? So. There's a little ghost girl and we know that he's killed a child. He does, he, he does not have the same reputation as like Michael Myers, for example. Like Michael Myers doesn't kill kids. All bets are off with this guy. And so the hunting that he does of Jonathan in this movie, but then also the way that he interacts with those trick-or-treaters. Ugh. That's so good. It was, it was just like, what's going to happen here? So I absolutely love, A, that we don't see the mom die. We just see the aftermath of her vicious death. But then to convert her head to a trick-or-treat bowl, to then put candy in the trick-or-treat bowl, and then to pass it around, the interaction that we get from the kids, the mom just saying, yeah, okay, just put it in the bag and keep it pushing. (laughs) But then for him to smack the kid's hand who went back for seconds, I fucking love that scene. And it was at that moment that I knew no matter how bad the rest of the movie got, this movie was a fucking slash. Because art with trick-or-treaters priceless 
a hundred percent. That's the that is the that's the most iconic scene in the movie for sure. I mean, that's the the greatest. It makes me want to try to recreate some kind of fake head with blood coming out of it, hollowed out, where I can put candy into, so I can hand that out to children myself on Halloween. It's just such a brilliant idea. Okay, so when I went to the drive-in, there was a guy dressed as Art the Clown, and he was just kind of going up to different different cars. Uh, one car was like a convertible, so he like hopped into the back seat with them. Uh, he tried to reach into the doors or, or knock on the glass, but then at that point in the movie, he actually got the head uh, like a like a fake head with fake blood, and then put little Kit Kat bars in there. Went trick or treating to all the cars. Great time. Very wholesome. Very wholesome. The only thing that was running through my head as you're explaining that scene is is art a family man? I think so. I think <laughs> is he great with kids. Oh yes, he's great with kids. I mean, he's got one with him all the time. Honestly. As it turns out. Art to the little pale girl is like the Mandalorian to Baby Yoda Grogu. Wow. The Star Wars Terrifier 2 pipeline? Never thought. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Here we are. I hate it. And this has been a great year for dads on screen. <laughs> but actually, speaking of the little pale girl, not one of my favorite scenes, but maybe up there, is just her introduction. I was not expecting it. Right off the bat, was not expecting this character whatsoever, and... Do I even understand her purpose? Definitely not. But instantly I saw her face wasn't ready for a mini art. That's for sure. And she was just as funny as art was right off the bat. So I give so much props to that young woman for her acting skills because she nailed it. She nailed it. Right. I wasn't ready for the liquid being expelled from her. Oh, my gosh. Is anyone? Honestly. No one really could be. And the other thing I wasn't ready for was... The most important thing that we learned during that scene, which is that Art is raw dog in his costume, no underwear, just butt cheeks. Yep, that's it. Please. How could I forget that? Oh my God, you're so right. You should forget that. It's so bad. (laughs) A little pasty butt. Not the pasty butt. (laughs) That scene is really so good when he's there playing patty cake and she's not there. Like, I, I don't understand what she does. I don't understand her existence, where she came from. It's just some part of art psychosis, I guess. But regardless of if I understood it, it was an enjoyable part of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I think all we really know, at least I believe, is that he's one or she's one of the victims of art, right? And so whether it's his psychosis or not, she's definitely one of his victims. Um, but yeah, that little girl did an amazing job and made her some really like uh, shocking scenes and really like, ooh, hard to, hard to look at. First, when I first saw her, I was like, whoa, what is that? What are we looking at? You all shared probably some of the best scenes in the movie, but there is obviously one scene that can't go unnoticed, and that's when, uh, and that's the mashed potato scene. Come on, we've got to talk about that. That's Sienna's mom, right? Sitting at the dinner table, and Jonathan comes home and sees his dead mother at the dinner table, and Art is shoving mashed potatoes into her face. Like, that is a graphic, gruesome, ridiculous, over-the-top scene, and it's got to be in the top five for sure. That is so disgusting, and it's also something that was replaying in my head constantly when we were having our Thanksgiving discussion for the B-sides for Terrifier. I've seen so many arts mashed potatoes recipes circulating the internet in the aftermath of that scene. (laughs) And just really, again, let's take a moment to just talk about what an impact this movie has, because again, if you've been with us for a while, you know that I don't cope well with the idea of mothers dying in movies. It's like a deeply 
rooted i don't know what in my psyche where like the second a mom dies i'm done i'm start crying uncontrollably then i get lost in my own despair of the inevitability of my own parents passing one day but this is the only movie i've seen where a mom dies and i'm like I mean, this is shocking, but God, I can keep getting through it. The whimsy of him coming out with the apron and the dish, fucking top notch. <laughs> Get you a life partner who cooks the way Art the Clown does. Family, man, period. You know, I think to that point right there, this is a very gory movie, but it's a gory movie that even people, to an extent, that don't love gore can still really appreciate and have a good time with not in the sense of like i think of movies like hostile and stuff like that where i i truly don't like watching those gory scenes like that's not my vibe but i can watch art all day long you know again this movie feels very different for me i would say if you're squeamish about gore there's no way this is going to be okay the alley kill series the freaking 15 minutes of torture for Allie that we get that we leave and come back to is horrifying and honestly I was trying to eat and I made a mistake I'm not I'm not a squeamish person but uh, eating during this movie is not a good idea I don't recommend it it hits different it's not good it, this is not one where you should be like oh maybe I'll try it out to me the hot dog slice is like easier to consume than this I was just thinking that it 100% is, and I was questioning myself if that was okay. Even the second time around watching that kill, that was when I really got up and I had to get a glass of water, rethink my choices, put away my dinner and put it in a Tupperware because it wasn't going to happen. I, I am so glad that you brought this up because that scene obviously is the comparable scene to the hot dog slice scene if we're comparing the two movies, right? And I think I was even talking to you, Chris, even directly after watching this. I was like, does this top the hot dog slice scene? I don't think it does. And I, I'm not saying it's not it's not more gory, right? Like we see a lot more, like we're seeing an eyeball sliced down the face, right? That alone is crazy, right? We're seeing like skin being ripped off and sliced and being stabbed and, and acid and salt and bleach, all whatever, all these things that happened, right? But I think the thing that loses the value is that this girl would have been dead way before she actually died. And that right there just it just took it just took a little bit of that oomph away. Like I remember going through that, however long it was, Ryan, fifteen minutes, whatever it was, going back and forth. She's still alive. I remember in the theater being like, "There's no fucking way she's still alive." It just killed that moment for me. So because of that reason, the hot dog slice scene is still top. I would argue that several of the kills in this movie are like extra drawn out and like uh, there's just like a. A second, he's like, I don't want to kill you. I want to torture and kill you. And, and the other thing that makes it hit a little different is the hot dog slice scene was all about Tara's reaction to the hot dog slice. This is just us looking into this girl's room and it's horrifying. I mean, obviously the, the mom does come home and I guess that's really how we see her end state, but it, it, yeah, it's, it, it hits different. It, and we get a lot more time just like sitting in this torture than I think we did with the hot dog slice. I, I get it. I think there's definitely a lot of value there when we think about not only the shock of the hot dog slice, but also the lingering of the hot dog slice and then the focus on the reaction to the hot dog slice. However inappropriate it may, you may have found it, Binks, when we originally watched that movie. 
this still does not come anywhere close to the impact of the hot dog scene because this just felt like more of the same gore that we get in other types of movies like severing limbs, peeling flesh, uh, a scalp being ripped off, an eyeball being sliced. I feel like it's it's not to pull a quote from Terrifier, but it's 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 like old hat, right? Like we've been here before. I had never seen the hot dog cup before. I've seen a person bisected, but not that way. Not starting there. Not lingering there and seeing the organs in the goop fall out. This was cool. It was nowhere near as impactful for me. It's all about the innovation for you. I get it. I get yeah. It. Points for trying, I guess, but not points for impressing me. There's a lot that we can compare between these two movies, but I'm certain that we will all agree the acting, the the character building that we get in this story is so much more than we had before. And, you know, we've already kind of said in some ways it's a little bit too much, but I enjoyed this family, these characters a lot. And there were a lot of points where I was actually kind of sad to see people die, which is not at all how I felt the first time because I had no relationship with them. And it was a breath of fresh air to get like good acting to go alongside art. Yeah, a hundred percent. We definitely get way more character development in this film. Um, we get to know the characters a bit more, which allows you to actually feel something, right, for these characters and especially the protagonist. I thought the acting was much better in this film. I, I thought that um, Lauren Lavera, right, did a great job throughout the movie. Of course, Art is going to steal the show, but he definitely wasn't completely in the spotlight in the same way that he was in the first film. And there's just so many elements to this film and, and these characters, right? And I know we talked about uh, we talked about it already, but like we can't forget about the little pale girl, right? Who is one of the creepiest characters that I have seen in years, right? Like that's a vision that could truly give me nightmares. She did such a good job with that. Yeah, I have to agree in terms of the pale girl. I'm going to bring it back to her again. I already shared my thoughts on her earlier. Wow, just stand out. Even when it comes to Sienna as well and her character, I really like the character development for her and where she was going. A clear indicator right from the beginning that we've got our main star. And although we thought we had that in the first one, turns out we really didn't in terms, in terms of the ending. In this case, we're really starting to see a plot. We're starting to see what is a final girl in this universe, right? Or in this franchise. And I really liked how we were building up the story in terms of what is her relationship with her father? What are her interests? Who are her friends? And I really liked as well, taking a focus on like her psychosis in and of itself and how they're blending in her imagination and her dreams and what she's thinking that she's seeing, but not too sure. And what is actually reality? I really liked how they did that and, and the way that she acted, that panic, acted that confusion, and also the strength and her love for her brother. Oh, just superb. I also think like, you know, when it comes to like her friends, we get just enough of them. Not too much. There's not that much you need to know, except they're kind of bad friends for going out on Halloween without making sure their friend was alive, I guess. There's that. But, you know, I don't I don't need like life stories from everyone. We see them interact in school a little bit. Like it was just enough and it worked. I think the family unit worked for me. I I personally don't love the parenting in this movie, but it's also a joke. Like I I'm 
it's not that serious, obviously. And I understand that life is life. But at the same time, like there is a point where some of this stuff maybe wouldn't have happened if she wasn't so gung ho on her kids being like horrible people and lying to them, lying to her constantly. Like maybe we could have got ahead at like a little bit of this, you know? If we're ready to talk about the mom, I'm ready. Let's go. Oh, snap. Look, she's just trying to keep it together and be a good parent as much as she possibly can considering the circumstances, right? That's my thought. I I feel like there's nothing that she said or did in the film, to be very honest, where I didn't think stop and think to myself, yeah, my mom probably would have said the same thing, except maybe like threatening me with a chancleta instead of a slap to the face. (laughs) My problem is that it did remind me of my mom, and that's my issue. (laughs) And there we go. It's a me issue. And there it is. And there it is. Honestly, when we sat down for this episode and seeing the comments that Binks has put in Discord about the mom specifically, I really thought I was going to come in here having to fight to defend this mom because I don't know why everybody gives her such a bad fucking time. Yes, she's imperfect. Yes, she can be really grating. But also, she's a mother who just lost her life partner who is trying to make ends meet, a single mom uh, who's raising two either like adolescent or pre-adolescent kids who clearly can just do whatever the fuck they want and not really, you know, value the consequences of their actions. I'd be fucking pissed if my kid almost set the room on fire because you know what? Regardless of us knowing that it wasn't Sienna's fault, there's no way the mom could reasonably look at that situation and think it wasn't Sienna's fault. Like, no. For sure. She's fucking trying. And my mom has done similar things. But to add to that, right, like we also learn that the way the father died, right, was super traumatic, right? Like he had mental issues. He took it out on the family. Like this was a traumatic time for this whole family. So it's really easy. And this was a touchy subject even during the watch party, right? Like there was a lot of mixed emotions. It was a mixed bag. It's easy looking from the outside in on this movie and just seeing the character and just and saying, wow, this mom is really over the top. What is she doing? Blah, 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 blah. But when you really think about what's happening and really the backstory of this family, it's rough. It's rough. And I got to give the mom some credit. I got to give her some credit. All I'm saying is that the kids went through the same trauma that she went through. And it just... It feels like, okay, here's here's where I come from on this. This is why I even like make the joke of saying like zero out of 10, which obviously it's not. But the reason I say it is because I've accidentally set a house on fire oh, and it didn't burn down the house. But I'm just saying accidents happen. Like I was accidentally a part of a whole kitchen fire and I didn't do anything wrong, but things happen in the world. And I feel like if y'all have been through this trauma as a family, I would like to feel that they're respecting that within each other and not like, again, it's just reminiscent of being yelled at as a child, okay, for things that aren't your fault. Like, we all have accidents. Don't yell at me about it, okay? I get that. You know, I'm not trying to make a comment on people and their parenting. It's just a movie that we're watching. That's it. Yeah, no, I I get that. I mean, my mom, I didn't really give my mom the opportunity to yell at me the time I burned a blender in the oven. (laughs) You know, I, I think when I consider... The outcome of like life, right? There is this moment and it hit me during the watch along. It hit me again watching it a separate time. But it's the realization when we have Brooke telling her boyfriend about what Sienna's been through, but also really how much abuse the mother endured. Because yes, like they all went to the same trauma of losing someone in their life. But let's also not ignore the fact that 
she was his wife and his girlfriend and his friend before he was ever a father. You know, I don't know how long their relationship was, but it seems like there's a lot of steep trauma there. And it's not just the like loss of a husband, but then the complexities of the loss of your abuser, the loss of someone who was your life partner. And then you kind of peeling back and kind of like dialing back these own defense mechanisms that you probably build up to, to withstand all of that. And I think what it really did, you know, we, we, we talk about like the power of these performances. We talk about what an upgrade this movie has and it's acting. I think about the phone call that Sienna has with her mom. And it's the last time she ever gets to tell her she loves her. And it is the softness with which this mother goes zero to a hundred in the opposite direction from angry to, I, I love you too. Enjoy the rest of your night. It's like a moment where the, the claws retract, the shoulders relax. And it's almost like a little bit of tension, a little bit of stress just kind of like falling off of her. And that moment was again a surprising note of emotion and complexity in a movie where I did not fucking expect it to be. Yes, yes, and yes. I think when we're looking at the first Terrifier, I think I talked about this in our previous episode where I think they tried to evoke that emotion with the cat lady and art and it felt flat. You could see right through it. When they have those moments in this movie, I think it strikes gold. That moment talking a little bit of outside of the mom but with the brother when they're at the end and she's like carrie from are you okay it really did the job it i think it was successful with the mom though going back to the phone call specifically right when it happened i was like oh here we go i'm ready she's a goner i i think the predictability on that front for sure and i think it's maybe because we know that art's gonna try to kill as many people as he can in this movie that's for sure it's like a game of thrones episode <laughs> nonetheless unlike the first one i think ryan you might have mentioned this earlier i actually feel something for these characters and so when they do die ouch definitely and the big one that like i really kind of battled with how i feel about it is her little brother like I understand that he doesn't die, but the brutality and like the, the things that happened to him and like him kind of being, you know, kidnapped and him being taken to the amusement park, like it just became a lot. And God, I mean, the scene where she's like, he's getting beat and then she goes and covers him and like takes it. Like it's just so intense. And I just, I, I, I don't know that I really ever came to terms with how he was being treated in this movie from art, like how violent it was. I don't know that I was okay with it. It it was a tough one because I really liked his character and I really felt for his character just trying to like find his way in the world and kind of, you know, feeling very misunderstood and stuff like that. So a few layers to Jonathan here. On the one hand, I love him. He looks very similar to uh, one of my nephews who is just kind of like a tall, lanky, blonde kid, right? And and really just like you have some like nerdy interests and you're really just discovering yourself. And I love that. It's wholesome. Two, I love the injection of him into this movie and the kind of perspective we get through that. I love how we, you know, first perceive him as like what the next serial killer uh, because of his morbid interests, only to find out that he's incredibly empathetic and how he doesn't want the girl to see the dead animal, how he doesn't want the dead animal to be fucked around with any longer. To see that he's just a kid who has some interests and he's not defined by those interests. And 
yeah, he has some growing up to do. There's some severe perspective that he is lacking in terms of like wanting to dress up like Art the Clown, for example. But I, I love that. On the other hand, I don't think he nearly got it as anywhere as bad in this movie. Like he had the trauma of seeing his mom died terrible. Yes, he was kidnapped. The rest of it, I think pales in comparison to what everybody else in the movie went through. So I found it to be okay for me. It does, but he's a kid. So as much as it's minimized, that maximizes it. It is harder to watch because he's a kid. I agree with you, Ryan. I think there is something there. Like, I don't think he got it the worst, right? By any means. But I think there is that. I think that was part of the feel, right? It's one thing to see a kid dead after aftermath. It's another to see a kid being tortured or being hurt with brutal objects, right? Like that's just a hard thing to watch. All I'm saying is I was not stirred as much as I was in the 2018 Halloween when the kid dies in a truck. Mm. You know what I mean? It just didn't hit the same for me. But again, maybe it's because we saw art so much. Maybe it's because I saw Jonathan, like once he didn't die in that bedroom, I knew, okay, he has plot armor. He's not going to die. Right. So I think I just was much more, I was much less scared for him. So one thing I want to say is perhaps I should retract my family man statement (laughs) considering this conversation. Second, the plot armor thing. I would agree. And it's because he, his role in the plot is the person that pieces together whatever universe or plot they're trying to create. Connecting the drawings from the father being very ominous about, you know, they were luring you here. He's he's that character. So, of course, he's got to make it to the end. But one quick thing I want to say about the actor. Wow, he is tall. He is almost just as tall as Art. <laughs> I it, Second time around, because now, of course, I see this, this poor sweet. He's so adorable. The actor himself has a TikTok account. Recommend. He's so elated, so excited. And I just thought to myself, the second time around, I'm going to focus on him and his acting. He's a tall, very adorable kid. (laughs) I love that. Who does not look 12. Let's just also call it out for what it is. He's supposed to be 12 in this movie. That boy is full, a full 16. And and that woman is fully grown. But kids are never kids. It's so weird. I don't like it. Yeah. But so look, to to your point, right, about like plot armor and things like that, and maybe the reason why Jonathan lives, who knows, right? There's so much that is not explained in the film, right? That I think, uh, you know, I think we're we're hopefully going to see, because I do think they confirmed another one, but there's a lot of pieces here that has left a lot of fans guessing, right? And I think even Leone has said like certain things, certain aspects, like the clown cafe scene, right? There, there's, he said, I think he said there's only two people on social media that have actually guessed the exact meaning of that scene. So there's so many things that he has put into this film that he plans on explaining later on in the franchise, including scenes like the ending with Sienna being revived with the magical sword of power, the credit scene with art, art's head being birthed and things like that, right? So like, there's a lot of things that leave you wondering. And it's interesting to think about all of the different uh, theories that people have going around right now. I just think there's one, maybe two things that you need to take away from that clown cafe scene. One, you should stop on by. And two, the food's a little funny. That's it. What else is there to figure out? I have a question for you, Chris. Did that gun scene not trigger something in you? 
It absolutely did. It's actually the worst part of the movie for me because again, you know, we, we think about just the gun violence in Terrifier and how much that was like a sobering moment. And here it was just devastating violence. And I think I'm someone like, I won't soapbox about gun violence in America, but to see the level of carnage in that, oof, it, it struck a chord with me emotionally that I took a little while to recover from. So that is probably uh, it's my worst part not for the not for the violence not for the guns it's actually the worst part for me because that creepy fucking clown cafe song gets stuck in my head and it just freaks me out it gives me the same kind of nightmares that it's a small fucking world gives me in disneyland like i can't go through that ride and watch all those little dolls singing the same fucking song in different languages it's creepy as shit and that song gives me that kind of vibe and it is truly frightening for me bro look i was just at binks's house earlier and she was singing that shit i'm so sorry honestly i loved it it was great it's too catchy it's too catchy and it's creepy i think we're about to have all maybe the same worst part nope (laughs) a1 ryan yeah look it's that the both the first time and the second time i thought that that scene was eternal and not in a good way um although i you know kind of twisting it just a smidge really quick about i did enjoy the costuming in it the set design i really liked how it all a major set for such little i guess well thought out plot (laughs) or dialogue or anything for no impact on the plot it had a great look (laughs) For no impact, it had a great look, yes, and so many parts to it, but wow, I could not wait for it to end. And although clearly this movie and like its predecessor love a good drawn out uncomfortable moment, I really would have favored all the other uncomfortable moments possibly over this one. I think there was an opportunity to make it really funny. And it just felt like at first it made me laugh and then it became a drawn out joke. And it was then just starkly sobering and not in a good way. It could do I could do without. Yeah, I think the only thing that didn't make that that scene feel so bad to me is knowing that See, I can't even confidently say that it was a dream because I I don't understand what it is, but there was at least an illusion that it was a dream, which made me able to move past the gun thing a little bit easier. But with that being said, what is it? Like, why do we not understand any of the mechanisms of this movie? Like, what is that? Why did their dad predict the future and write it in a notebook? Can anyone make that make sense for me? Or is art Sienna's father? Terrifier 3. Terrifier 3. That I opened the door for. I am your father. Listen, I hear you on the Terrifier 3 thing, but it's really weird to introduce new mechanisms of a killer at the second series, like at the second spot on the series. Like, I think if you want to go the route of introducing all this kind of like, uh, introducing these fantasy elements, I think this needs to be something besides Terrifier because it's not like it can be Art the Clown doing something else. But like none of this stuff makes sense. I'm sorry, it doesn't. And if he's going to explain it in the third one, it's just like a little too late, I think, because now I'm just sitting here looking at this movie like, what? why did that happen? Why did their dad know everything? And why did he make this really sexual outfit for his freaking daughter? Okay. <laughs> like, Here's what you're <laughs> missing, Ryan. Terrifier 1, just an homage to Michael Myers. Serial killer on Halloween night. Terrifier 2, homage to Freddy Krueger because that motherfucker is getting you in your dreams. Next time, it's going to be a chainsaw or you're going to go to a summer camp. 
Terrifier 3 to camp, I'm in. Oh, gosh. The problem is it's degrading. Like, if it's Freddy, cool. But from there, you only have like Jason or Leatherface, and both of those are worse than the other two. So I don't know. The other thing that I need to say is I just, as after we started recording, watched the end credit scene. And literally, what is that? And why did that happen? That's... <laughs> horrifying and not in the fun way that is my second worst part of the movie it's it's tied there with the uh, gun violence in the clown cafe i was there for the clown cafe scene aside from that i'm even there for him lighting the musician on fire totally fine minus those those shooting kills i'm in it but that scene to a take vicky from this studious uh, sister who's just trying to pick Tara up after a rough night out to getting mauled, uh, to then killing or attacking, viciously attacking Monica Brown, to then being committed, to then birthing him again. What? No, it's weird. Just his head. It was wild. It's too wild. And it also brought back my least favorite prosthetic, which is her face. Mm. Like, I hated it, and it didn't get better. It get, maybe got worse, honestly. <laughs> it's just, what is that? Why? And also, why is that in the post-credits? Like, that is a significant plot point. I feel like this movie is just one downright fever dream that I'm sometimes thinking, that was fun. Other times, what in the hell just happened to me? I would say that the w worst part is tied for both. And to your point earlier about David Leone basically leaving these hints and Easter eggs to explain a further universe, it's giving Kevin Feige MCU in some ways in terms of throwing some things out there and seeing what sticks, but not as well elaborate, I'm sure, as a non-horror franchise, obviously. But I, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Ryan, although I obviously am a fan of both the first and the second. Now come the third time, that's where I start to feel like, all right, are we doing too much? Like, uh, you know, what's going to happen here? You got to really sell it to me. And I hope that they clean up the movie very well. Me too. And the last thing that I'm going to rant about that they also pulled inspiration from the MCU for is this runtime. I feel like we haven't talked about it enough. They spend way too much time at the party, way too much time at the amusement park. I don't need Terrifier to be more than two hours. It, I honestly need it to be about an hour and a half. And it's just too long. Too, it's, it's not even like a pacing thing. It's just a, a link thing. It sounds like Ryan's probably not watching this one anytime soon, but I will say that I will definitely be watching this one again. Um, I will be revisiting the franchise again. This is a great addition in the realm of horror, right? And I really love watching this one. I, I love watching the first one, this one, with friends, especially with friends who haven't seen the films before. I can't wait for the next installment. I hope it does it justice. We'll see. Um, but uh, I definitely think it has rewatch value. Yeah, I have to agree that there's rewatchability once again, just like the ending of the first one, in the sense that you're going to want to see these again to really understand what the heck awaits you for Terrifier 3. And there's just enough fun moments, a good time, laughs, again, all of the feels to make this worth rewatching. All that said, for me personally, I'm just like I said for Terrifier. I'm going to take a bit. I've rewatched 
both of these movies now twice in one month. That is four times in general than I ever thought that I would be watching this movie. So I'm going to take a an art hiatus. I hope he doesn't miss me too much. <laughs> I'm not against a rewatch just to see how I feel, just because my feelings with Terrifier changed so much over a couple of years. So at some point, I think I could possibly revisit it and see how it goes. Yeah. So I've watched Terrifier and Terrifier 2 so many times in the last 30 days. I think I'm tapped out until next October, but it is for sure going to be part of the October lineup. You know, I said it in the Rewind episode, it's going to be this, it's going to be Trick or Treat and the entire Halloween franchise, a little bit of Hellfest mixed in there, and I'm done. It's going to be a good time. We've talked about a lot, folks, but there you have it. Terrifier 2 from 2022, still officially under Universal Slash. Now, we've certainly had a robust discussion here, but it doesn't end here by any means. We want to know what you think. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free over in our Discord. You can click the link in our show notes to sign up. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons. Visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, if you're going to put that in your mouth, you have to pay for it. Peace. Adios. Adios.